Welcome to Journey Under 30, a roadmap drawn in discovery. I'm McKenna. And I'm Alex Taylor. And I'm Mason. Uh, This is our podcast all about us doing what we can to get Colin and Alex named in a future Forbes 30 Under 30. Did we do it good? Did we convince them? I think we did. I I think mission accomplished. I hope so. This is a little bit different. This is our Scavengers Network Scramble episode. Colin and Alex have scrambled off somewhere else. And uh, we've scrambled into their podcast, uh, but we're going to be doing the same thing. Yeah, we're going to be discussing uh, some advice, some shout outs, all to be, you know, a future 30 under 30. So McKenna, I know they, it's usually either a career or a topic. So uh, why don't we start to say what we each are going to talk about, and then we'll dive into the, the full on presentations. Uh, what are you doing? Absolutely. So I'm going to be focusing on a career, um, someone who inspires me and has continued to inspire me my uh, since I first heard about them probably six or seven years ago. Uh, and that person is Lin-Manuel Miranda. See, that's this is fantastic because I actually don't know much about Lin, except that he was the Hamilton guy. He's really chill. And uh, uh, I think those are the two things that I know about Lin-Manuel Miranda. So... I'm realizing that that is most of the population, general population's understanding of him. And it's just that I am so obsessed that I have taken a deep dive into who he is. And the rest of the population has re- like maintained on that. Oh, cool. He's a person that exists. Right. So we're going to get that deep Lynn. I'm excited. Um, and I've been waffling between doing either a, a topic or a career. And I think I'm going to end up doing the career with the problematic bits and all, because it's worth mentioning, of someone who is, mm-hmm. by society's general understanding, not taken seriously by uh, for the roles that they play uh, on the stage and screen, but who has actually got a very interesting and storied life. And that person is Mr. Bean, also known as Rowan Atkinson. All right. Should I dive right into mine? Yeah. Yeah. Let's. I want to get into that Lynn. I want to know what, what's up with <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda. Let's get into Lynn. So Lin-Manuel Miranda, as you mentioned, is mostly known for being the creator, writer, songwriter, and actor in the very famous Broadway musical Hamilton. Um, and that's actually not the first musical that he got his start on. Uh, he's been around for a little while before he took a deep dive into one of our founding fathers. <laughs> um, but I think like one of the reasons he's so inspiring to me is particularly because I myself am a writer and he's also a writer and that's just a really hard industry to make it in. And so if you have successfully made it in, you are just, you're, you're a really talented person, Right. but mostly um, he's stayed and maintained to be like such a humble and good person, no matter what success has come his way. And to me, like you cannot be an inspiring person on that level to me, if you haven't maintained the goodness in you and the willingness to help other people. Right. He is actually the son of immigrants. Both of his parents immigrated here from Puerto Rico. And um, both of his parents really, really supported his love for the arts at a young age. He showed just such an appreciation for the arts in general at such a young age, which I think can be difficult for a lot of parents to accept because you want to like push your kids into more um, promising careers uh, like academia, science, math. um, And there's still like this stigma, I think, surrounding arts that it's somehow lesser than academic fields because you're not passing legislations or curing diseases or inventing things. So you're not doing as much for society. 
Right. It's weirdly seen as not smart work, which is not even slightly true. It's it's absolutely insane because if you look throughout history, like one of the things that's impacted society the most is art. So right is the culture and everything like that. Exactly. So I think it, I think it's great that his parents really kind of allowed him to hone in this passion and supported him, you know, without a doubt throughout his time uh, trying to pursue this career. And I think he's someone who's continuously reminding us that art does take intelligence. It does leave an impact on the world and it is important for society to appreciate and uh, enjoy it. His first Broadway musical in the Heights before he was 30, it was on oh, wow. Broadway, which I think is another reason he should be celebrated as like a 30 under 30, because it is not easy one to just like star on Broadway, but to write, compose, you know, create a show and be the lead in it Wait, before he, you're 30 years old. He didn't just, he didn't just perform in a musical or anything like that on Broadway. He wrote the the dialogue and also the music he composed it as well i did not know that i thought he was just like dialogue writer no he writes so for in the heights and hamilton he writes the raps the rb the songs he composes um it all he has a lot of help on the music end and he works very closely with um composers to make sure that his vision stays true throughout because obviously something like that, that many songs needs some feedback from other people. And I think he's one of those people that he could write a two day musical on one subject and he needs people to like tone it down and be like, okay, you can't have a six hour song. It's not going to happen. Rain it in Lynn. Gotcha. That's crazy. So he does all the music too. That's amazing. Yes. And it's incredible. Like if you've listened to the Hamilton soundtrack, it is a masterpiece. That's just a whole nother level, a whole different skill set on top of creating a story and a narrative, not to mention in the case of Hamilton, diving into historical facts and figures and things like that. Yeah. Talk and about he... art being a smart thing to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It took so much brain power. And he actually was inspired to do Hamilton because he read this very in, like dense, very dry biography on Hamilton. One day while he was just on vacation, he decided to read this biography on Alexander Hamilton. And he literally said, he was like, as I was reading it, I just saw the lyrics coming off the page and I have tried to read it. And it is not an easy read. I don't see <laughs> lyrics in it. It is not something Just that kind of a dull gray I'm, buzzing coming off the page. Yes. Yeah. Like he's a very interesting person, but the book definitely highlights some of the more dull aspects of someone's life. So... Uh, yeah, so he got his start um, on Broadway and really pushed through within the Heights. And from there, he created Hamilton. And he really got his fame with Hamilton. He was invited to sing at the White House. He won Tony Awards for it. Um, and now it's kind of people are going back and giving him recognition for In the Heights. It's going to be turned into a film. Um, it's already in production. What, what is In the Heights about? What is what is the story behind that one, the one he wrote when he was much younger? Much younger. It's an inner city neighborhood um, and it's dealing with diversity and the lives of the people who live in this city and the things that they're going through being minorities in a very close knit neighborhood in New York City. So so it sounds kind of like he was drawing off of his experience being uh, growing up as the child of two immigrant parents. Very much so. And that's one of the things he's so celebrated for is that he continuously pushes diversity 
um, and inclusion and uh, speaking, like giving a voice to minorities in his work. And he never really settles for compromising the importance of diversity in his art. Um, we see a lot of that, I think, in musicals and movies. We see a lot of like, well, the original character was supposed to be a minority, but Hollywood would only make it into a movie if they cast a white actor. So right. we're going to change and, that oh too. And, the Ghost and in the Shell phenomenon. Yes, um, quite a lot. So he really is a firm believer in his work. And that's just a great piece of advice, I think. Believe in yourself and believe in the message you're trying to send. And I think you'll succeed much larger because Hamilton brought in audiences from people who did not like musicals and were not fans of, you know, the Broadway musical kind of um, art or anything like that. And Hamilton kind of brought all these people together who liked different types of music. And so, and that only happened because he stayed true to himself and the stories he wanted to tell. Right. And that, and that's amazing. So, this might be a slight tangent, but I'm curious. Has Lynn Manuel has Lynn Manuel Miranda ever released an album of music, just not to a musical? So, not to a musical. He has, but it was based off of his musical. So the Hamilton mixtapes <laughs> are uh, mixtapes of inspired by his musical. And if you have not heard them, they are absolutely fantastic. They are raps and these amazing interludes and just this collection of very, very talented artists are on it. I mean, like random people like Kelly Clarkson and um, <laughs> Ja Rule and Ashanti. And what? like, there's just so many people on these mixtapes. Um, and they're not the musical songs. They're revamps of the songs inspired. So it's like there's one... Um, called uh immigrants because in his musical one of the lines of the song says immigrants we get the job done and it's talking about hamilton and lafayette being immigrants helping contribute to the revolutionary war well the mixtape version is talking about how immigrants are really putting in the work and doing contributing so much to the united states but not getting the recognition um and so it's a modern day like it's really relevant to today's current climate towards immigration um and it is a brilliant rap that uses uh immigrant rappers um in it so he has two mixtapes that's that he excellent. Has collaborated with others on that sounds like those are the things where people had to say lynn you can't you can't too many songs and then he was like well fine i'll make mixtapes then exactly he was like All right, i'm still obsessed with this so i'm just gonna put the rest of my work out another way how much I don't know if there's any way to know this, but how much does he do like every given day? Because just to write a musical alone, just the dialogue is a huge undertaking. And I get that it's not like he's working a day job at the same time. But do you know, has he ever talked about like what his day looks like or how he creates so much? Uh, you know what? I honestly don't know, but he is a very busy person because he's not just creating musicals now. He actually wrote the soundtrack for Moana. He was in the movie Mary Poppins. Um, he is now in the TV show, His Dark Materials. He is helping turn Hamilton and In the Heights into a t uh, into movies. Um, he writes songs for Star Wars. Like he has his hands what? in so many different pots. Like he is just all over, always hustling. Yeah, and you know what? He's probably also working on a new musical no one knows about at the same time somehow. Oh. 
Absolutely. I am certain <laughs> he is. Like, yeah, he's had guest roles on TV shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, he's just, he's a little bit all over the place. And I feel like people don't really know that he's there. Like I, um, I teach an English class and I mention him every now and then to my college students and not many of them have heard about him. But when I'm like, when I mentioned, oh, have you guys, you know, watched Moana? They all say, yeah, of course. So, like he wrote the entire soundtrack to Moana. So you do know him. You just don't know that you know him. Um, right. He's he's one of those people that is slowly becoming the guy who's behind all your favorite shit and you don't know his name. Like, exactly. So, and I think he likes it that way. I think he kind of likes flying under the radar a bit and just popping up in random outlets. Um, but he does have a bit like like four or so pieces of advice that I think are just really helpful to anyone who's trying to pursue their dreams and um, just really kind of unsure of whether you're going to make it because I think he's a great person to look at because the arts are not a guaranteed success industry. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that he kind of hand, hands out this advice and is so passionate about it. Um, so one thing that he really, really sticks on, and he mentions it to every time people ask him for advice, is to find your people. And I don't think this can be stressed enough because finding your people, whether it's in your workplace or in your friend group, your hobbies, um, finding like-minded like individuals who can share your interests, support your goals, and help, your, um, help you make things happen is just so invaluable. Like that you can't really measure how helpful that is in pursuing dreams and making things happen. Um, and it also just helps your mental well-being and you cannot succeed without having some sort of mental stability and handling right. the stress. Having that support structure of people uh, to lift you up and also challenge you to do better and things like that. Exactly. So, and I think there's a little bit of fear to gravitate towards your, you know, people you have the same interests with or even just people you look up to. But I mean, just go for it because that's how you're going to succeed and get that needed advice and help and support. Um, and his other advice kind of like goes really alongside that. And that's just to find a way to be around the thing that you love, even if it's not in your current job, because the chances of while you're young, like you getting a job in the industry you want to work on working very slim. It just doesn't happen. Uh, so finding a way to be around the thing you love, even if you're not working in that field is going to help you improve, uh, at that job and continuously strive towards your goals and not let it become this back burner hobby that you slowly just forget about. And then when you're 60, you think, man, I wish I had tried harder to pursue this It would have been thing. real cool if I could sail or something, whatever exactly. it is. Exactly. So, and, and to be honest, like that's what podcasting is for me as, you know, someone who wants to create, being able to continuously create this content gets that strive and uh, drive in me. Um, his last two pieces of advice, the first one, uh, collaborate. And I, I think this is something that's underutilized. The only reason, not the only reason, but a big reason he was able to get his show in the Heights on Broadway as soon as he was was because he collaborated with people he went to school with mm. and people he grew up with. Um, they helped him push this like dream into reality and put in that work. So I think there's a impulse to kind of keep your projects like your babies, like protect them and not share them with other people. But if you can collaborate on those projects, you're more likely to make them happen. 
I feel and, like uh, that's incredibly true. And I've actually experienced this very recently. Um, there's a there's a side project. Sorry, one of my lights just went out. Um, there's a no <laughs> there's a side project that we're in the process of starting, and uh, it's it's a fictional thing, and it's set in this this world that I had for a long time been like cooking up on my own. But I when I reached out to people in the Scavengers Network uh, to work on this, and I made this conscious decision to follow that advice and be like, I'm just gonna say this is wide open 100% anything you can think of just just throw it in there and after doing that and just being like take take this little seed idea um the things that the people who I'm working on with it have put into it have made it into something so much greater there's just there is a huge value in um other people's minds that are different than yours putting an effort onto something getting excited about it and that kind of it ties all the things together you need the people to collaborate exactly yeah, so they all, they really, really work um, together. You can't take one piece of advice without kind of following the other pieces. But I think collaboration is like underutilized or underappreciated among many. I think a lot of us are scarred from group projects in high school. And we just don't <laughs> yeah. want to uh, risk putting ourselves out there in that kind of way. But once you find your people and they're as serious and dedicated as you are about the same things, they're just going to help you. And they're going to keep you focused and not giving up or losing interest on those projects that you have. And his final piece of advice, I've kind of talked about why he's inspiring to me. He always, always stresses to be a good person because if you're a good person, you're going to be that person that other people want in the room and you can't get anywhere if no one wants you in the room. Um, and I <laughs> think that's point. just so helpful and just so honest because a lot of people think like, oh, you got to cut people down to get ahead. And as soon as someone falls behind, I'm one place ahead. But the reality is if you're not a good person, no one's going to want you around or invite you places or open up opportunities for collaboration with you. So, right. That's a very baseline truth, honestly. Yep. That's often forgotten. It's often like the simplest things that people leave behind. So uh, let me see if I, if I remember these correctly, they were, um, they were find your people, mm -hmm. find uh, ways to incorporate what you love into what you do. Always be around. How did he phrase it? Cause he phrased it better than that. Uh, find a way to be around the thing you love, even find, if it's not your job. There we go. Find a way to be around the thing you love, even if it's not your job and then collaboration and be a good person. Yep. We, why do we even have the 10 commandments? Just get Lynn's four things. Like we just need Lynn's four pieces of pieces of advice and everyone can live a successful, happy life. I was going to say something about the burning bush of Lin-Manuel Miranda, but then that felt really like I missed the metaphor a little bit. Maybe a bit. Yeah. But no, that that's fantastic. What you mentioned right at the beginning, sort of that his parents were really supportive of him getting into the arts as a kid. Was, was he going to like any particular extracurricular arts stuff or was it that he was uh, like a super theater nerd, like a theater kid in school and that was what he was doing? So he was like a super theater kid in school, but he was also a super theater kid at home and would constantly like make home videos and oh. just pursue all of these little kind of mini passion projects at a very young age. So if YouTube was around back then, he would be a famous YouTuber by now or before Hamilton. Oh, even. absolutely. Yeah. There would be a bunch of videos up <laughs> of him 
and his friends probably starting out not very good production and then just <laughs> raising the bar to becoming, you know, YouTube famous. That would be an interesting timeline. No, that's excellent, though. Thank you. Yeah, I think I think more people should, you know, obsess over Lynn like I have, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Learn your Lynn, people. Learn your Lynn. Learn your Lynn. Yeah, so the uh, the career that I chose to highlight um, was was partially inspired by uh, my partner who really uh, was. We got rid of Netflix and got BritBox instead um, because she really enjoys British TV more, and I don't blame her because I do. I just don't watch TV often, but uh, she had recently recently seen something very early from Rowan Atkinson's uh, like life. And so I Googled it and then did more of a Googling spree and just kind of was reading a little bit about him. So I wanted to dive deep because he's a very interesting person. And, uh, there, there's one aspect of Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson that I relate to a lot. And it's that he's known for being this comedic, silly, like completely off the walls, kind of dumb character, Mr. Bean. And, uh, and not, People don't tend to take him seriously or think of him as any kind of a serious person. And like, I faced a lot of that sort of growing up because I was always the class clown to entertain people. But like, and I, I got treated like an idiot a lot. Um, so, mm-hmm. so maybe I was going to thinking originally, I was going to start this like, maybe I can follow the path of Mr. Bean. Uh, but as we'll get to later, that might not be a good thing um, in, <laughs> in some respects. So, Mr. Bean is uh, falls squarely in the boomer category. Rowan Atkinson. I'm not going to call him Mr. Bean anymore because that's reductive. Uh, Rowan Atkinson is uh, 65 years old, and he lives in Consett County, Durham in England. Uh, and, of course, everyone knows him from the comedic series Mr. Bean, which doesn't need much explaining. But what's interesting was before he got into doing theater and acting in that way, he was actually... Uh, he got top grades in science in high school and ended up securing a place at Newcastle University where he got a degree in electrical and electronic engineering. And uh, he continued that degree at yeah, the Queens College, Oxford, and he became like wow. an honorary fellow. And his thesis uh, from 1978 was like a really in-depth article about self-tuning control and, and whatnot. And we won't specifically get into that, but like he's designed systems that are pretty in-depth. He has a deep knowledge of science and briefly even went into doctoral work before ending up as Mr. Bean, which is it's just kind of an interesting career trajectory because talking about how Lynn was uh, moving into arts and, you know, his parents were supportive of that, which is tricky because they always you always want your kid to go into science or something that'll make money. Rowan Atkinson was like already there at the step of like, oh, he learned a bunch of stuff, was really smart and was on course to make a ton of money before he ended up turning to TV. I do think there's definitely something to be said about people who play kind of these outlandish or just really aloof, kind of seemingly stupid characters um, that usually they're highly intelligent and you can't convey that convincingly if you're not highly intelligent. Um, mm. I think that's like repeated among a lot of stars and actors and you know well-known figures that the more intelligent they are, the more they successfully pull off being unintelligent. Huh. That that's an interesting, like uh, like an inverse proportion kind of thing. I wonder 
I wonder what the root cause of that is. And that, I'm trying to think of another uh, example. And all I can think of is uh, the clown from the Howdy Doody show, which is such a such an old, old thing. Um, <laughs> that clown is really creepy, but I guess the guy who played the clown was like this this pretty smart fellow. Um, if you Google clown from Howdy Doody, you're not going to sleep tonight. Uh, I, I will was, say I that. I wasn't going to do it. So <laughs> no, don't I'm just let it fly by. Yeah, it's not worth it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so he, he definitely had the smarts. Um, and then sort of in 1979, the year after that thesis was published, uh, he's, he's, and I don't exactly know how he got into this. Um, I probably could have found, but a lot of these articles are pretty old. He got into a, a series of comedy shows for BBC radio, which is kind of interesting because Mr. Bean doesn't talk. Um, but it was all like <laughs> these satire interviews with fictional people who were all played by uh, Rowan Atkinson. Uh, he, he partially wrote it and all of that. Um, and from that, he ended up going into television. He did like this one-off pilot called Canned Laughter, um, which I believe was what Madeline was watching um, the other night because she was like, he looks so little. Um, <laughs> and then slowly worked his way up to Blackadder, which a lot of people know. Have you seen Blackadder? I have, yes. Yeah. I'm not going to gloss over the fact that he has a, a very unique face and something about him <laughs> in the second season of Blackadder when he has the like Victorian frill and everything, he looks really good in those clothes. <laughs> Pulled it off very well. I have to, going back to him just finding a show on BBC, I have to almost like imagine it happened in a very Mr. Bean way in that he just kind of wandered into an office and they like right. didn't know what he was doing there and he just started being funny and they just like handed him a job. Like it was just just a very Mr. Bean like wandered in and then just gave him work. You know, that's probably the truth, honestly. <laughs> just... <laughs> Shows up, bees fun, bees funny, acts funny, yes, uh, and then gets cast in a comedy show, and then uh, obviously after cutting his teeth with that, getting into Black Adder, which he also co-wrote. Um, eventually, moving forth, doing a bunch of, of little stuff. So then he got into doing Mr. Bean. Uh, you know, he was on television until 1995. Did a feature film 1997. Yada yada yada, and. Mr. Bean became the big thing that everyone knew his face from, and particularly because of his face and his prominent eyebrows and his his great physical acting uh, in that sense, uh, which then went on to be an animated show. And then he started uh, doing film. Actually, the animated show came out sort of after this. This is a little bit non-linear, but uh, he was <laughs> in a James Bond movie. He was in a, an, an adaptation of uh, The Witches, the Witches film from the 90s. Uh, and just sort of continued doing those things while also performing live on stage a lot. He did work with uh, Monty Python. It's sort of a, a common thing for uh, British actors is to go into doing a lot of theater, I've noticed. Um, yes, yeah. And I, I think it's sort of a... Theater is a little bit different over there from, from what I've been able to gather, not just from this, but just uh, in general, is that a, a lot of film actors sort of... I don't know if they prefer doing theater, but they usually do a lot of theater. Like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart um, do shows together all the time. Uh, and it's kind I think of an... it's it's like respected as like a, a challenge if you're used to film acting. Theater, like on stage acting is kind of respected as like you're pushing yourself to be more emotive in a, in a different setting. 
Yeah, I so, think you're right because it's it's more real. It's not that you're you're memorizing lines and then cutting them take after take. You're out there putting yourself out there to do it in one exactly. go. Yeah. yeah. Which uh, as a, as a semi-retired theater nerd, um, not that I've done any films, but uh, kind of makes me want to go to London and try and do theater. No, but <laughs> there's also the weird dichotomy where there's a lot of English actors who can't get cast in films. So they come to the U.S. and they get cast more readily in films over here. Cause it's, we have this thing where we just respect people with British accents. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, you have a British accent. Okay, you must be smart. Talented, right, right. And, and it's like unfortunately, it's like either it's like okay, so do you want to be the head of the spy agency or the villain? It's sort yes. of like how it always ends up going. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that's Mr. Bean. That's Rowan Atkinson's sort of career path, um, and the things that unfortunately you discover when you start digging into someone are some of the uh, the sort of problematic things. Uh, and there's there's some stuff uh, that makes him not necessarily a person to to idolize. He has uh, gone against legislation. Like uh, in an instance in 2009, he tried to uh, rally against the racial and religious hatred bill, which reading that sentence is a little confusing because it's like, well, <laughs> is that good or bad? So looking into it, um, it was it was a bill preventing hate speech on the basis of religion, and he rallied against it and urged people to vote against that. Uh, and he did the same for a bill that was uh, making hate speech against gay people illegal. And so that's kind of lame. His reasoning, according to the statements he was making at the time, was that he was really concerned about any kind of censorship. But I don't know if... Because you can... <laughs> That's a tricky one because nowadays, if someone says that, it's a dog whistle for much worse beliefs, you know? Exactly. And potentially like violent acts against people those, in those particular groups. Right. Who are being protected by the, the legislation. Which so, like, even in the United States, we're pretty like obnoxiously protective of freedom of speech. We have laws against hate speech. Yeah. So like I feel like that sets a bar for other countries. Yeah, especially yeah. It really does. So that that wasn't great. Um and you know, as recently as uh 2012, he voiced his support for a reform section five campaign, uh, which was which is interesting because in that case, that was a a law that said that an insult can be grounds for arrest and punishment, which it, it, you have to think that, that the law is a little more specific like, than that, and putting it that way makes it seem reductive, but I don't know enough about UK law to know if that was a ridiculous law or not. I Honestly, UK law is wild because unlike here, UK law can be passed overnight. It can just happen really, really quickly. So, really? Yes. It's very strange. They can just pass laws within like a 24-hour per period. We can't um, pass laws it, in four years. How do they do it? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. But it seems backwards, though, that he wouldn't support hate speech being a crime. But like insults, yeah, that should be criminalized. Oh, no, no. He was railing against that. I should have I should have oh, made that clear. Okay. So he I'm has, sorry. I'm... He's at the very least been consistent in um, advocating for unrestricted speech, period, across the board. And I don't know if that yeah. comes from an ignorance of the protections that are designed in those laws or if it comes from just a place of, let me say whatever I want. 
Um, yeah, or really fearing, you know, government control or something. Right, and and it's impossible to determine someone's intentions. Um, the, the the thing that we'll give I'll give credit for is that uh, in at least at the very least his Wikipedia entry about his personal life uh, doesn't there's nothing else that lists any kind of um, negative acts. Uh, so to take take the whole thing with a grain of salt. But this you know you shouldn't idolize anybody. But if you were going to idolize Rowan Atkinson, you shouldn't yeah. idolize anybody except Lynn. Yeah. Except Lynn, who's just a wonderful soul. Right. Uh, I think, yeah, like we can say at least like he hasn't been known for expressing hate speech, but the fact that he's not against other people expressing hate speech and being punished for it does not bode well for kind of it, looking up to him as an individual. Exactly. Exactly. And um, I want to close out. He doesn't have any, at least not that I have found uh, any very, you know, pithy and well put together advice. Um but there is an interesting story that happened to him, uh, which was what originally hooked me when I read it to read more about him. And uh, that was in March of 2001. Rowan Atkinson was on a holiday trip to Kenya on a, uh, a private plane when the pilot of the plane fainted in the chair. And Rowan Atkinson, you know, is a lot of things, but he's not a pilot. Uh, yet he <laughs> did the thing that everyone always wishes they'd be like, oh, I could do that. He pulled the pilot out of the seat, took control of the plane and flew it all and uh, kept it in the air and kept them on a safe trajectory until the pilot recovered and was able to land the plane uh, in Nairobi. And uh, it wasn't like a, a jetliner that basically flies itself. It was a like a small private plane. So one that you consistently have to do things to keep it. Right. One that's like you got a joystick and it's yanking on you and you got to figure it out. So that's pretty cool. This dude like... That's very cool. Flew flew a plane by the seat of his pants while probably also severely moistening those pants at the thought of what would happen if he didn't. Um, exactly. So that is uh, that is Rowan Atkinson uh, in a nutshell. Just I guess if there is any takeaway, I think it's just that there are. You can't judge a book by its cover. I guess you can't judge a bean by its crazy eyebrows and silly antics. Well, and I also think like the definite takeaway is just because you're on one path doesn't mean you can't completely switch gears and find success in another path. Thank you for that. I, I <laughs> Yes, that is, I intended that one from the beginning. Um, no, that's, that's honestly a very salient point that yes, you, he, you can go very far down one path and then turn and do the thing you love. And exactly. And it's not as though having, you know, a doctorate in mechanical engineering helped him get into acting, you know, you don't, when you're writing for a comedy show, you don't call the college and be like, hey, who's the smartest person you have? <laughs> or, you know, list those things on your resume as like, this should get me the job. Right. I have a doctorate <laughs> like, degree. In. Right. Unless the radio station is really hurting and they're like, oh, I guess we could pay him less, but have him do engineering work. Maybe. Yeah. He'll have two, two roles. He'll fix our uh, computer systems. And, <laughs> and maybe every now and then we'll give him a one-off line. <laughs> also he's very good at physical comedy and that, that that's something that that i really enjoy which is ironic because i do a lot of podcasts um yeah. so I, I think i think that no you go ahead sorry i think that's like particularly challenging is it's easy to it's i it's easy to have that combination of physical and vocal comedy you know to say lines that are funny and be funny physically but that limiting yourself to not talking 
and just using your entire facial expressions and body movement. That's so tricky. Yeah. No, it's 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 crazy. And like that the, the world of mime though it gets picked on a lot is is actually fascinating. And if you you know, you watch videos of people who are very good at oh, excuse me. People who are you watch videos of here you go, Colin. Here's a clean take. <laughs> you watch videos of people who are really good at mime, and it's amazing. Like that uh, gift that went viral of the guy with the balloon pretending it has a bunch of weight and like pushing it around the stage and all of that. Um, yes. Conversely, too, though, it's also hard to take away physicality and express things very well vocally only. Um, yes. Like as I've I've done a lot of uh, radio plays. Um, not actually on the radio, but a lot of things styled as radio plays before I knew what a podcast was, uh, where you're given a script and then, and you read it and some being familiar with being on stage and reading something, then hearing your voice back, you're like, Oh my God, I'm flat. Everything's flat. What is this? It seems like every it's, time you try to put tonal shifts, like you either do none at all or way too much to emphasize your point. And it's really hard to hit that middle ground without using that physical aspect to get your point across. Right. It's almost as though there's this this unknowable percentage of communication that's lost when you take away either physicality or vocalization. And you have to figure exactly. out what percentage it is to overshoot. And um, and I, I work in radio in my day job, and that's something that's always a struggle. That, in my case, too, particularly doing the whole quote-unquote radio voice thing. Um, is another form of bad <laughs> acting. Um, so yeah, so for to uh, to bring us back home before we head to the marketing department, yeah, it's it it's this person is someone who has a very you know mastered a lot of scientific arts with great understanding, and then moved into performing vocally on the radio, and then moved into performing only with his physicality, and then flew a goddamn plane. So like, that's if there's something to aspire about Mr. Bean, it's that. And maybe rally for good speech. Um, <laughs> hey, McKenna. Yes. How would you feel about visiting the marketing department? I think that's a really, really great idea to do right now. Well, then let's visit the marketing department. Hey, little mama, let me whisper in your ear and tell you about the comedy podcast on Natural 20s. Do we really want to limit ourselves to just saying we're only a comedy podcast? You're right. We have a lot to offer, like intellectual conversations. Well, did you guys know Australia once lost a war entirely to emus? Do you think emus frown upside down because they're in Australia? Like they're below the equator? Yeah, duh. Health and fitness. Pasta is great, but you usually have a lot of extras, but have no fear. Thigh warm pasta is here. Plop the bag of leftover pasta on your thighs and eat those puppies like popcorn. We have microwaves. I have thighs. You know what? Actually, we can never decide what we're going to talk about. And that's why we leave the fate of each episode up to the rolls of a D20. So download Unnatural 20s on your favorite podcast app and roll with us every Monday. PodCube, podcasts from the past delivered to the future. With PodCube's pseudo-linear 4D adiabatic qubit streaming technology, you can select any point in history and record it for personal gain. What was the group dynamic with Australopithecus? What brand of cigarettes did the Spanish Inquisition smoke? Was Leonardo da Vinci a pants guy? Or a shorts guy? You can discover with PodCube. Listen for yourself to the flagship PodCube podcast, Alabaster's Haberdashery, recorded on location in 1880. Simply search PodCube, all one word, in your podcast app or visit poweredbypodcube.com. PodCube, the future is yesterday. 
And we're back. Man, the marketing department sure is nice around here. I know. It's great. Why do we have to be stuck here? I don't know. On, on I don't know, radio, our marketing department is the front half of the truck. So, like, Colin's got this whole room. <laughs> it's, it's pretty on, cool. Uh, on Unnatural 20s, it's just Caitlin. And it's kind of terrifying yeah, no, to visit her in any space. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least... Well, I, I don't want to say at least because they're one of my favorite characters, but the point scribe's not a problem for you guys anymore. <laughs> yes, I can say at least the point scribe is no longer a problem. And I'll just I'll just mourn mourn him in sadness. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's let's uh, let's rehash the takeaways before we wrap it up here. Absolutely, yeah. I think we got some great advice out um, from Lynn. We got some four pieces. You know, find the people, find your people. And I guess stick to them like glue, just right. like, don't let them go. Right. Um, and hopefully if you're with your people, you can also find a way to be around the thing you love consistently, even if it's not in your job. And once you're around the thing you love and the people that are also in the thing you love, collaborate with them and do things together. And then finally be a good person because those people are not going to want you around or want to collaborate with you if you're not. So some solid life advice from Lynn and you, and it's, it's put very well. It really is. It's simple. It's easy to follow. And you do those things and you're golden. You can say he has a way with words. You could say he has (laughs) (laughs) one could say that if that was a Hamilton reference and I didn't get it, I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and if there's anything to be learned from, from Mr. Bean and Rowan Atkinson's experience, it's that you can take, the trajectory you're on in any direction at any given time, regardless of your age or how many hours you've sunk into something, there's there's a whole fallacy around it, the sunk cost fallacy, which is usually mm-hmm. for like when I buy a used vehicle and you're like, well, I, I just changed all of these parts. I'm $6,000 into it. I can't give up on it now. So it doesn't matter how deep you go into something. If you want to do something else, you can. You can move away from something and go in the direction of what you truly want. It's never too late Absolutely. to do that. And uh, if anyone wants to buy a 1995 Tacoma, <laughs> I am done sinking money into it um, because I need to change my course on that one. Uh, listings on Craigslist and maybe in the show notes, Colin. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry to take your journey under 30 and use it to try and sell my crappy old truck. We're just uh, trying to pursue our journey under 30 a little better. <laughs> I don't know if you care about divulging your age. I was going to say I'm 26, um, so I've got four years to make it on the 30 under 30. I am 26 also, but my birthday is coming up very fast, so I've got about three years to make it on oh, the no. journey under or 30 under 30 list. Careening towards the big 2-7. I am in about like 50-something days. Oh, well, well, happy early birthday, McKenna. Oh, thank you. Which I've got going for me is I look like I'm 17. So I'm just going to keep <laughs> pretending that. There you go. And you work with, with kids, so they'll keep you youthful. Well, Exactly. They might turn your hair gray, depending, I don't know. <laughs> depending on how long I continue to work with them. Right. That's a fair point. And I think that's a pretty good spot to leave it. I agree. I think, I think we've done a lot of exploring. Please be sure to check out our other shows here on the Scavengers Network, such as Unnatural 20s. Or if you're really pressed for something to listen to and everything else is broken, you can listen to I Don't Know Radio. Uh, These shows and many other good ones can all be found at scavengersnetwork.com. Also, be sure to check out our merch store for so many great things, 
WIDK <laughs> radio station. Uh, and the Unnatural 20s have a hat. I have to say the Unnatural 20s is a dad hat and it's particularly epic. So, it's if, so you, good. <laughs> if you really want to rock a denim dad hat, you can go to the Birch store. Um, I apologize. I don't know what the WIDK one looks like. Um, I it, assume uh, it's awesome <laughs> because it's not, a hat no, and not, hats are great. No. Neither do we. Um, no, it's it's <laughs> it's just our tiny little logo on it, but but it's fun because people be like, "Oh, what's your hat?" And you can be like, "Don't ask." And then Don't. if you've ever wanted a hat that does that, you've got it. That's the thing. I constantly wear things that have my merch on it, and then people want to talk like our logo on it. People want to ask about it, and I'm like, I don't know why I keep trapping myself in this situation. <laughs> I know it's weird. It's like I should be promoting my stuff, but I just want to be like, nothing. It's nothing. Leave me alone. <laughs> I, I have this contingency where it's like you can look it up, but you have to look it up after I'm gone and you cannot listen to it in my presence. And that is where we move right. on from it. You know what we need? We need jumbo business cards that are literally like three feet by six feet, but they fold up. So when someone asks, you can take it out of your pocket, hide your whole body with it, pass it to them. And as they grab it, run the hell away. And then when they, when they move it, you're gone and you don't have to talk about it. That is a brilliant plan. Maybe it could get us on the Forbes 30 under 30. <laughs> uh, dish out your information, but do not have to be there while they witness or study or learn about it. Boom. That, that had, it's what's the opposite of it's not the opposite. It's bacterial marketing, I guess, is what yes. we can call it. Um, yes. Which just Colin, does sound good. We might need to pitch it a little more. <laughs> yeah, we'll 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 workshop it. We'll refine it before we send it off to the, the people who live up in Forbes Castle or whatever. Uh, Colin says to plug our social medias. Uh, you can follow me and my show over at I Dunno Radio on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.com slash I Dunno Radio. Yeah, you can find my show, Unnatural 20s, at Unnatural 20s on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find both of us at ScavengersNet on Twitter. Thanks for joining us here on 30 Under 30. I am Mason Amadeus. And I am McKenna, aka Books. And we'll see you on the Forbes listings. Boom. Done. We're on our way. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.